Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Come on, come on. How are we doing, 845? It's great to see everybody. How are my Niner fans feeling? You can breathe now. That was one crazy game. I got home because uh, I was at church last night. Um, and I uh, got home and watched the third quarter. And I was like, we're losing 21-14. And it was a crazy game to watch. But um, uh, the Lord was faithful to deliver. Uh, the Niners in the last second, Christian McCaffrey. Helped them win the game. Did not help me win my fancy championship, but whatever. Um, I'm salty. Uh, hey, I come with great expectations this morning. Uh, the last few weeks at our church, they've been really special to me. We've seen 20 plus salvations the last few Sundays, back-to-back Sundays. Last night we had seven salvations. and It was just sweet to see God move last night with the remnant of the people that were left that were Niner fans. Um, I used a lot of like, you know, like art illustrations and a sport illustrations. It was good. Um, but um, there was a couple in the very back. And when I mean very back, probably about seven rows back because uh, it was Saturday night. And uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It was at least 14 rows, okay. But um, the very back and their eyes are welling up and they raise their hands and say, yes, to Jesus. And uh, about the third row, there was a little three-year-old and she raised her hand and looked at me. Four years old is when my grandma led me to the Lord. And God can save any age, any age. If you're 95 today, he can save you. If you're three years old in the room today, he can save you. If you're a married couple today and life's a mess, he can save you. Uh, throughout the Bible, there's this rhythm of the enemy trying to separate God's people from water. Time of message is when the water runs out. And you'll see this rhythm throughout the Bible. Go to Genesis 26. You'll see Isaac. He is flourishing in the midst of famine. Famine is all around him, but his father dug wells. And water at this time was like liquid gold. It was oil. It was like striking oil. They didn't have the tools that we had. And so if you had a well, it set you apart from the rest of the world. If you had a well that produced living water, it separated you from everybody else. And the enemies around Isaac hated that he was flourishing, so they took dirt and filled up his wells to drive him from the land. And I don't know about you, but man, COVID felt like that. It felt like the enemy was trying to fill up every life-giving well, every life-giving church, and have all the Christians just flee the land. I'm glad you didn't flee. I'm glad you're digging wells with us again. Man, the region needs the life-giving wells. You'll fast forward to 1 Kings and King Ahab is ruling and it's such wicked sin. They have wandered away spiritually and because they've wandered away spiritually, they've isolated themselves from the Lord and lack of rain and famine was a representation of curse because you walked away from God. Blessing was rain, cursing was no rain. And so Elijah prayed and prayed and prayed. He prayed and he watched and he prayed and he watched and eventually a cloud came and God brought rain again. There was a person willing to pray over and over again for water to come back to God's people. I feel like that's what team prayer is on Wednesday. We're praying over and over again. Would you bring water back to your people? Would you bring life back to your people? And the story we're in today is 2 Kings. It's not Elijah, it's Elisha. And the kings of Israel, the king of Israel and the king of uh, Judah, they have wandered into a war God never told them to go fight. And because they're in this war God never told them to go fight, they are now stranded in the middle of a valley with no water, seven days, a whole, think about this, three kings, there's another one, king of Edom, and they are in a valley trap, there's no water, and they know if we have no water, there is death. The only option is death or a miracle. I don't know about you, but I feel like that's the Bay Area. There's only two options. 
a miracle or this thing's going to hell in a handbasket. And I want to believe that God still does miracles. Amen? Can I read you the story in 2 Kings where the enemy tries to separate a nation? It's, this is no light story in 2 Kings 3. Uh, theologians say the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, their existence is on the line. They have risked everything because of their disobedience. And now there's no water. The enemies ploy over and over again to separate. And here's what the story says. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on the roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Joseph said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we, that me, whoa, whoa, rewind, uh, that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants uh, of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Israel went down to him. Then Elijah said to the king of Israel, what have I do with you? Go to the prophets of your own father and your uh, prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elijah said, as the Lord of the host lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not even look at you nor see you, but now bring me a position. To give you context, the wicked king uh, Joram is saying, oh, God told me to do it. Sure, I put God's name on things God never led him to. And Elisha's like, God never told you that. I, I don't even want to talk to you. I wouldn't even look at you. But since you're around a godly king like King Josephat, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to share some good words. You ready? And he goes on to say, then it happened when the musician played. Alevi says, now bring me a musician. He'd be like, oh, bring me Lisa and the piano. Come on now. Um, uh, then it happened when the musician played that the, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Start digging, start digging, start digging. Turn to your neighbor and say, start digging. Start digging. Come on, it's, it's a time to dig, it's a time to dig. Not a time to be complacent, not a time to blame, not a time to point fingers. It's a time to grab a spiritual shovel and to start digging. It's a time to dig. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor you shall see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that your cattle and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city. And you shall cut every good tree and stop uh, up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the, rain, uh, when the grain offering was offered. When the grain offering was offered. We're going to talk about that grain offering being offered. That suddenly water came by the way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Anybody in the room, you ever feel not good enough? Anybody? Anybody? Any hands? Okay, the ones that feel good enough? We'd like to hang out with you for a little bit. What's that like? Just to feel great about yourself all the time. You know, I just want, I want to encourage you real quick. If you don't feel good enough, holy enough, perfect enough, strong enough, whatever enough, I want to tell you something real quick. What I love about the Bible is not a book about perfect people making great decision after great decision. It's the opposite. It's flawed people making bad decision after bad decision. And I'm here to preach to you, teach you, and encourage you that some of you, you think you're really good at messing up your life, but God is better at fixing your life. You think you're good at ruining your life. Well, he's better at redeeming your life. You're a really good sinner. Well, he's an even better savior. I, my, my life, I'm going to tell you, I'll be honest. There are times where I feel like I am a mess, but I remind myself I'm his mess. I'm not your mess. I'm not a mess to sulk in. I'm his mess. And I remind myself, God, when I'm bad, you're still good. Yeah. 
When I'm unfaithful, you're faithful. When I'm weak, you're still strong. When I'm making a mess of my life, when I am breaking things, you're ready to fix things right away. If I break things 100 times, he's faithful to fix 101 times. Am I, if I break, if I'm, I'm so bad and I'm so messy and I'm messy a thousand times, guess what? He's faithful to fix it a thousand and one times. This is our God. It's almost like if your life was like a business and we could look at the books of your life, a lot of debt. But if you would allow the Lord to enter your life, he could balance those books, rearrange things in your life and have you prosper and be flourished. I, uh, I love the story. Uh, of Second Kings because nothing happened until they offered the grain offering. And if you read past the grain offering and you don't do the context, grain offering was a worship offering. It was to bring worship to God. What, what bulls and goats were to the Old Testament is what praise and thanksgiving is to the New Testament church. So in the Old Testament, bulls and goats, that's how you'd worship God. In Hebrews 13, they ask uh, um, uh, the author, the Jewish audience says, how do we have church now? How do we worship God? Because in the Old Testament, we knew how to worship God. We'd bring grain. We would bring a pigeon. We would bring a bull. We'd bring a goat. But the, the worship crescendo, the priest's sacrifice, it crescendo with Jesus on the cross. It has come to the pinnacle. So how do we worship now? Sacrifices didn't die in the Old Testament. They just culminated with you and I now being the ultimate sacrifice. The living sacrifice, if you will. Jesus paid the ultimate price. We don't um, worship to be forgiven of sins. We worship because we are forgiven of sins. They brought a boat, a bowl to be actually forgiven. No, we don't bring our praise because we want to be forgiven. We praise because we are forgiven. And so I just was worshiping this week with our team prayer and uh, the song, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. I started thinking about it. Just every single time I was a knucklehead. And I didn't feel shame. I felt thankfulness because he was so kind to me every time. When I was running away, he was running me down. When I was sinning, he was getting ready to save. When I was breaking, he was getting ready to fix. And I feel like we need to offer the Lord a grain offering this morning, an offer of thankfulness. And what that looks like is uh, we don't need to bring a bull up here and have me slaughter it. That would be weird. Um, but we need to kill some things this morning. We need to kill some pride. We need to kill some preference. We need to slaughter some ideologies this morning and offer God our best thanksgiving. It's amazing to me why it's so hard for some people to raise their hands to God. It's a sacrifice for you. This would be your, your, your offering to God maybe this morning. Maybe you've never done that before. The, the, the Hebrew word is tada. It's to raise your hands and say, I am yours and you are mine. It's what God asks of us to do when we enter into his courts. Not to walk in with our hands in our pocket, but actually to, with a grain offering. So could you stand with me real quick? I believe that there are some things blocked in your life and one of the biggest reasons why it's blocked is because you just haven't learned how to worship yet. I, I, uh, I was roommates in Bible college. I show up my first day and my roommate shows up, didn't know who he was and tatted all over and uh, he just got saved four months prior and he looked rough. I was like, I should have requested a different roommate. <laughs> I just literally, I played Russian roulette here with roommates. And I asked him, I said, man, uh, uh, how long have you been saved? Four months. I was like, oh, man. He's like, yeah. You know, I used to be a, a bouncer at a strip club. And uh, I was like, well, how long ago? Four months ago. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because <laughs> like, I got saved and I didn't know what else to do. I decided to go to Bible college. And uh, your dorm rooms with somebody, you're, you're really close with them. 
And you get to see the ins and outs of a human. And every night he'd put worship music and fall asleep to worship music in his ears. And I'd ask him, why, why do you do that? And he said, Tyler, the things I saw, the things I did before I found the Lord, I want them to be gone in my mind. And the only thing that's renewed my mind is, is worship. And we prayed this morning specifically for your mind to be renewed this morning, to be rewired. Um, some of you, uh, perversion has just gripped your mind. And I'm believing that God's gonna wash that away and redeem it with holiness. Some of you, just fear has gripped your mind and God's gonna wash it away and uh, replace it with peace. Some of you, negativity and pessimism has just been there and God's gonna wash that away. He's gonna replace it with hope and faith and joy. I'm telling you, if you give your life to the Lord and you say, God, would you renew my mind? Would you wash away these things? Your dreams will be different. Your mind will go to different places because he's the God who renews minds. But that doesn't happen on accident. It happens when you learn how to worship. It happens when you learn how to sacrifice. If you need a miracle this morning, would you just raise your hand? Come on. If you're next to that person, would you put your hand on their shoulder? And all you're gonna do is, as we worship, is we're gonna believe as we put a hand on somebody's shoulder. I didn't give you an option for anywhere else, by the way, just their shoulder. Okay. Shoulder. Uh, we're gonna worship to all my life. We're gonna worship. We're not singing a song right now. We're gonna worship. We're not gonna just placate God. We're gonna bring a sacrifice to God this morning. And I believe that families are gonna see breakthrough like they've never seen before. I believe that you're gonna be redeemed in a way you never thought you could be before. You're gonna go to sleep tonight in a way you never slept before. Great rest on your life. Come on, if you're not raising your hand right now, would you raise your hand with me? And all my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the good. Come on, with everything you got, with everything you got, come on. The best offering, the best praise. All my life you have been faithful. All my life. Jesus, all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness. Just the voices now, just the voices. God, I lift up every person that raised their hand that needs a miracle. God, they've come to this place of realization that they can't lift the rock that needs to be moved. 
They can't heal the sickness that is there. They can't get rid of the depression that's been uh, tormenting them. But God, we know in your word, we're to come. So we come to the feet of Jesus this morning and we say, would you move? Would you shift things in our life? Would you shift it right now in the name of Jesus? May we have great testimonies. God, we come to the one that saves. We come to the one that redeems. We come to the one that fixes. We give you all the praise and all the glory. God, we don't come with just a token area request. We come by faith and belief that the one that raised Lazarus can still do things today. God, we love you, Jesus. We give you all the praise. We give you all the praise. And everybody said? Hey, you can go and take a seat. What if that was my whole message? You could just leave. Not so fast. Not so fast. Don't leave now. Don't you leave now. We got, we got a good word today for you. We got a good word for you today. Uh, I'm going to be in St. King's, and uh, the title of my message is when the water runs out, when the water runs out. And um, I got to pray over the message real quick. Got to pray for you, but I, I can't pray enough in church. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're gonna, let's just pray real quick. Uh, God, we invite you in this place. God, we invite you. We invite you. Uh, God, we don't want the water to run out in our life. We don't want to lose our way. We don't want to wander from you. We don't want to disobey you. We don't want to have the enemy come in the places that you called us to guard. So, God, we simply say, would you speak to us today through your word? God, we we love the promise of your word. God, we know that this is not a vain moment. Your word goes and it does not return void. So, God, I pray that my word would, would fall to the floor and that your words would soar. Oh, God, we need you. We need you. We need you. We call on the prophet. We call on the king. We call on the priest. We need you, Jesus. We need you. We need you. And everybody said? Um, I don't know about you, but I've never met anybody when they're in a wilderness season and they actually celebrate it. Like, how you doing? <laughs> Terrible. Wilderness, man. Pure famine in my life right now. Lost my job. No friends. Woo! Life is good. I've never seen anybody in their wilderness seasons. Oh, I've had wilderness seasons. And never once in my wilderness season when I was in it was I like, ooh, I love it. It was the opposite. I thought that the wilderness season was a destination and not a something to journey through. I started thinking, is this my life? And I want to encourage you today. Your wilderness season is not your destination, but it will be a part of your journey. But here's what I know about everybody who's been through a wilderness season. Once they get to the other side of it, they say things like, I would never trade that season for anything. The things that I got out of that season. I'm so glad I got laid off from that job. I'm so glad that I got caught in that situation. I'm so glad that I came clean. I'm so glad that I went through that valley because what I got through that valley, I would never get from anything else. And what you're going to see in 2 Kings, you're going to see a wilderness season. And what's interesting about a wilderness season is I want to encourage you real quick. Uh, you may hate what uh, has happened to you this past season, but I'm telling you that if you allow God to use it, he will leverage it for your good and for his glory. I came across this story in the early 1900s uh, in Enterprise, Alabama. Uh, they were uh, one of the leading producers of cotton at the time. And it was, you know, the, the economic source of life um, uh, in Inter- Enterprise, Alabama. Well, the boll weevil came in and started destroying all the cotton. And the town is dying. Everybody's like, all right, pack it up. It's over. A couple farmers, though, had an idea. What if we started growing peanuts? Now, cotton was a necessity at this time. Peanuts were a want. And like, maybe some people would want peanuts. So start, uh, they started producing peanuts. So much so that the farmers that were growing it couldn't keep up with the demand. So all the farmers started growing peanuts. Peanuts made more money, actually. And so they became the peanut powerhouse of the United States of America in the early 1900s. They were so thankful for the boll weevil destroying the cotton that they created a boll weevil monument in the center of their town. Look at this. That is a boll weevil monument that they erected. Give a, give a closer picture. 
There's the bull wheel. This is that you go to Enterprise, they'll have this. Go a little closer. We'll go to the next one. That is one ugly looking monument. <laughs> I'm telling you real quick. Your layoff could be your bull weevil monument. Uh, something that you thought was gonna be the worst thing that could happen to you. If you would allow God to direct your steps and redeem your life, you'll maybe actually look back, because they build a monument, but in the Bible, uh, God, godly people would build what we call tabernacles. Once God did something that they never could do, they would build a tabernacle to remember, my God did this when I couldn't do it. Yeah. My God produced water from a rock when I had no water. And so as we look through this, uh, this story, it's a quick one. It's a very quick thing that happens. But I'm telling you real quick, God wants to move in your life. And it's very callous to tell somebody who just got laid off, best thing that could ever happen to you. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> you know. I'm not trying to say that today. What I'm trying to say is that as you walk through maybe one of the most painful valleys of your life, I promise you, not by my knowledge, but by the word of God, that man, he delivers. He redeems. He restores. He makes a way when there is no way. What the enemy meant for evil, he will turn it for your good. He'll turn it for your good. There are four main characters in this story, and I want to share them with you because I feel like for you to understand this story, you need to understand the players in this story. First one that we see in this story is a man named Elisha. Elisha. He was a prophet. Now, what is a prophet? A prophet's simple purpose was to represent God to the people. God to the people. A priest would represent the people to God, and the king would cover the people. Our Savior, Jesus, is the great prophet, the great priest, and the great king. He does all three perfectly. The people of God, when they had a great prophet, they succeeded well. When they had a great king, they were blessed. When they had a great priest, they were blessed. When the people of God have the great king and the great priest and the great prophet, woo, there ain't nothing, no way to stop them. So Elisha is this great prophet. Not only is this great prophet, Elisha doesn't come from a great spiritual pedigree. If you actually read the, the Bible, you'll see actually these things mentioned real quick in Samuel and 1 Kings. There is actually a prophet school that prophets would go to in the Old Testament. And so like they always thought the great prophets would come with great spiritual pedigree. They went to the prophet school and learn how to be a prophet, come out and be a prophet. But all Elijah had was not the spiritual pedigree. He just had a call and an anointing on his life. And I want to encourage the people in the room, if you don't come from great spiritual pedigree, your grandma's grandma wasn't some person who loved the Lord and prayed the whole family in. You're the first one to get saved. I'm telling you, there is great anointing on your life. If you are from somebody who has great spiritual pedigree, you aren't having the life you have because they are the ones who got saved. No, it's because God called you specifically. Come on now, we don't ride on the coattails of those before us. No, we ride on the breath of God that has called us by name. So Elisha was called by name. And I want to encourage you real quick, the Bay Area needs some more Elishas that were called by name. We're not, the, the Bay Area is not an area where there's a lot of great spiritual pedigree. You know, the schools aren't teaching kids all the spiritual pedigree of Jesus at schools. And so when somebody gets saved here, we know it wasn't because you went to a prophet school or anything like that. No, no, you are called by God. Okay. So, so, so I feel like we got to, we, we have the stage set for a lot of Elishas, if you will, to raise up in the Bay Area. Amen. Okay. So we got Elisha. Then we got King Jehoshaphat. Uh, king Jehoshaphat, he was a happy king. Uh, now, he was a godly man, but he was um, careless when it came to his relationships. Uh, you look throughout his life, he would partner with um, Israel uh, a couple times, and the, Isra uh, the kings of Israel were just evil, wicked kings. 
And so because of that, Jehoshaphat would actually taste the consequence of those things at times. And can I just encourage you, um, if you're going to date somebody, pray about it, talk to somebody about it. If you're going to make any decision that is going to affect a journey of your life, please process it, get some information on it. I'll never forget, I was just going on a little trip. And Rachel and I were married about two years. You know, we were on a budget budget. So I'm looking at, you know, orbits and I find the cheapest flight. Never heard of the airline. It was called Spirit Spirit Airlines. I booked it. I was like, $49? Sure. Sounds like a deal. Now I should have prayed to God, what spirit is it? It's an unholy spirit airlines. That ain't holy spirit airlines. That is unholy spirit airlines. Their tagline should be first and last. I remember getting on that plane going like, this thing does not look like it's put together well. Um, it was the worst flight I'd ever experienced. The, the takeoff was crazy. The landing was even worse. And I remember telling Rachel, like, I honestly think we just survived death out of this thing. And I've never ridden spirit ever again in my whole life. And so I, I was like, man, like, why didn't I just text a friend? I got pilots. My uncle was pilot for 30 years. Hey, what about this airline spirit? They're really cheap. Is it a good airline? All of them would have said, don't do it. Spend the extra $15 and just get on a normal airline. Some of you, some of you. The cheapest route, the easiest route is very, very, very rarely the right route. The easy choice is very rarely the right choice. The path of least resistance, very rarely, they're actually the right way for you to go. And I want to encourage you, start praying. Start praying about the big things in your life, the little things in your life, and give them all to God. Jehoshaphat, his weakness was at times, is he forgot to pray and ask God, should I partner with this person? So we got King Jehoshaphat. Then we got King Joram. King Joram uh, is the son of King Ahab and Jezebel. Yeah, the war, hey, you thought you had bad parents? Uh, get in line, okay? Uh, Joram's like, hold my beer, okay? Um, <laughs> How wicked is King Ahab? There is a king in the Old Testament that all the other wicked kings are compared to. They'll say like, oh, he's wicked, but not as wicked as Ahab. Oh, he was pretty wicked, but not as wicked as Ahab. When you are the wicked bar, that means you're pretty wicked. Can we agree with that? If the Bible's using you as the example of wickedness, that's who King Ahab was. And then Jezebel, of course, is the worst of the worst. There's a Jezebel spirit revelation talks about because it's the worst type of, of, of priestess that was trying to lead people to Baal worship and idol worship, and all, just depart from God. And they have this little guy named Joram. And he's raised in that house. And he even says he wasn't as wicked as his dad. I guess that's good. But he still worshiped Baal still didn't follow the Lord, still was all about material things. The reason why they're going to war is because he wants 100,000 sheep. He's just a greedy man. And I started thinking about our area. Do not fool yourself. There are principalities in this region. That's right. When Nebuchadnezzar takes God's people in the book of Daniel, gives them new names, a new language, dresses them differently, feeds them differently, basically tries to assimilate them to the culture like that and say, you are no longer gonna be a son of God, you're gonna be a son of Babylon. And I wanna encourage you real quick, we live on the West Coast, and there are principalities that would love to raise you up to be a son and daughter of Babylon, a son and daughter of a wicked king, a son and daughter of a wicked principality. But I'm here to tell you that there is another option for your life. There's another way to be raised, there's another way to be um, uh, empowered, there's another way to be redeemed, and it's not through the Bay Area. I love the West Coast. I'm West Coast through and through. Uh, I'm West Coast till I die. Uh, come on now. I'm Tupac over Biggie all day long. Okay? All day long. Dre over Puff all day long. I'm going to let you know. Yeah. 
Uh, even when I would listen to CDs, I'd be like, oh, I, I can't listen to Biggie. I'm West Coast. I'm West Coast. I'm, I'm, I'm Tupac. I'm Tupac. Uh, but I, I, it's, it's, it's in my DNA. I, I love this region. I, I, I care about it. But I sometimes wonder, I sometimes wonder, what would the Bible say about the West Coast if we were in the Old Testament? If we were in the Old Testament, and it, it was like, you know, California, 2024, because this is 900 BC at this time, you know, uh, before Christ. And so, like, can you imagine, like, what the Bible would say about California? It was a land full of great principalities. The Babylon spirit, just like in Rome, it was alive and well. Idol worship everywhere. Trying to give you new clothes, a new name, a new purpose, new food to feed off of. Not the bread of the word, but, but, but the manna of the world, the, the money of the world. But thank God there was a remnant in the East Bay. Come on, you, in, the, in the Bible, you'd get a good shout out. Yeah, I got you, I got you, I got you. I don't want to be a son of the bear. I want to be a son of the living God. I don't want to be shaped by the bear. I want to be shaped by God. And King Jerome was shaped by the wrong people. And because of it, he suffered the consequences. You have the opportunity to be shaped by the right person. His name is Jesus. And then you have the star of the show. Let me introduce him. His name is God Almighty. Jehovah Jireh. Okay. Um, Yeshua, if you will. Uh, God Almighty uh, will step in and do everything and clean up all the mess. And when I think about this story and God Almighty being the star of the show, the redeemer of the show, all of the above in this, in this text, um, I started um, reading a sermon uh, from Charles Spurgeon on revival. And uh, he preached it on revival, not that he loved revival, but he actually preached that he couldn't stand uh, people who were revivalist in his age. It drove him nuts. Now, when you look at history, Spurgeon's one of the greatest revivalists ever to live. But the reason why there were, he was annoyed of there were people in a revival in his time in the 1800s is because they thought they could actually manufacture revival. They thought they could bring the living water. They thought they could throw a tent up, say these three days are gonna be revival days and we're gonna have revival on this day. And Spurgeon would come in and say, what are you doing? Have you not read the word? We don't manufacture revival, but we can prepare revival. We don't manufacture it, but we can dig for it. I'm here to tell you real quick, we're not trying to manufacture revival at Mission Church, but we're preparing for it. We're digging for it. We're pleading for it. How many of you have had a kid come home and be like, oh my gosh, I forgot we should have probably made a baby room. Like you have the baby, you would come home and be like, you know what we should have done the last nine months? Probably prepare like a crib. Okay, you're just gonna sleep on the couch, baby. We told, we, just, we didn't prepare. And what happens to the church at times? is God wants to birth something in your life, in the church, and in the region. But he's looking for a church that will dig wells, that will dig reservoirs, that will prepare the baby room, if you will, when he births a new revival. There is a partnership. And so when we talk about revival, I'll be honest, people who get like annoyed by revival, I don't get it. Like I have people literally like tell me like, why do you use the word revival? I don't like it. What do you want me to use? <laughs> Like, like, you know, when uh, you know, Elijah revives the kid, he's like, I revived the kid. Would you be like, I don't like the word you use revive. Say something different. Uh, he, he came back to life. Okay, we're going, for, we're going for people to come back to life. You know like the word revival? We want this region to come back to life. Okay, we want, we want this region to, to experience the power of God and the love of God and for people to be redeemed. It, it, it's a biblical word. It's Tim Keller uh, was one of my heroes. And when he went to New York City, he says, we're going to renew this city and revive this city. And the way we do it is we have them preach the word. We're going to pray. And God, God's the one who revives the city. And so I just, I, I, again, the church has been running this one play for thousands of years, and it's simply this, God, you do what we can't do. 
So, so those are the characters in this story. Uh, now let's go through the text and let's see some, uh, some, some, some pearls, some gems that God shows us uh, that will uh, help us have not the water run out in our life. And if the water has ran out, you're going to see a way for the water to turn back on, if you will. Uh, if it's just trickling, a way to turn it all the way up. Uh, here it says in uh, 2 Kings 3. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. King Israel is a the wicked king. And uh, let me just tell you first thing, the time we live in and the time they were at, this is no time to complain. Uh, the wicked blame and complain, but the righteous call on a prophet. I, um, I'll never forget Rachel and I, uh, <laughs> we're in our duplex and we're about two and a half years in and all of our bills were online and I had most of them recurring. But the only one I had to pay like, you know, like when I get the mail was uh, our water bill from East Bay Mud. And I had forgot to pay it. They're really gracious, by the way. You can go six months and not pay and they'll still keep your water on. <laughs> I've tested it. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. But they get really ruthless at a year. They become really stingy. And uh, so our water gets turned off. And when you have the water turned off in your house, you might as well live like Little House on the Prairie days. You're like, I had no idea how important water was in my life. Brush my teeth, to shower, to cook. I mean, I was so mad. And in the first like 24 hours, I was blaming East Bay Mud. I was like, they should have had in the mail, it should have been a bright yellow thing saying, we're about to turn your water off. But it was just a normal color. And Rachel, actually, no, they put a red little stripe on it. Oh, it's not big enough. It wasn't big enough. You know, they should have somebody go to your door and knock and say, hey, you want to pay us? We're going to turn your water off. And she's like, well, they did actually put a thing on our door, I think. You just missed it. They actually did a sticky note on the door. I was like, not good enough. I want somebody coming in here, get it on my computer for me, and then tap my finger and go, click pay. Because it wasn't a ton of money. It wasn't I was paying because we didn't have the cash flow. I was fine, okay? Um, I had just forgotten to do the one thing they asked of me. And the one thing they asked of me was to pay my bill. And some of you, the water has turned off, and you are blaming God for all of it. It's amazing when our life is good. We're like, man, look at me stewarding. I'm amazing. Ooh, look at me. I'm such a hard worker. I'm disciplined. My life is so great because I'm so great. And then when your life goes bad, God, why would you do this to me? It's amazing when things are bad. It's so hard for us to go, whoop, maybe just maybe. I'm the one who missed it. Maybe just, the king of Israel cannot do that. The king is like, well, God's fault. Because he's the king. He has nowhere else to look, nobody else to blame. So like, God led us here to kill us. God never led you here. You were disobedient. And some of you real quick, you're saying, why would God allow this to happen? God didn't allow it to happen. You walked that way. You strayed. You went to a valley you should have never went to. You went to a place you should have never went to. But here's the great, so great about the story. Even though you went somewhere you should have went to, God's still going to come get you. God's still going to come rescue you. Okay? So we go on. Uh, and what I love is uh, Josephat, but Josephat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we, we may inquire uh, the Lord by him? It's not a time to complain. My next point is this. It's time to call a prophet. Not any prophet. I'm talking about it's time to call Jesus. Because what's happening at this moment is that the wicked people are talking about what they see. Dry ground, no clouds were dipped. And when you don't know the Lord, it's very easy to just talk about what you see. Least amount of Christians in the Bay Area. The policies are crazy. What we're living in is crazy. All I see is uh, destruction. All I see is California going this way instead of this way. 
Can I encourage you? Stop talking about what you see and actually talk about what God says. Because King Jehoshaphat talks about what he sees. I mean, excuse me, King Joram talks about what he sees, but King Jehoshaphat says, I don't care what you see and what you say, uh, Joram. I want to know what God says. I'm telling you, this area, I don't need anybody to be the problem guy for me. I know all the problems in our area. I feel like some people are like, I have a gift. I can point out your problems. Uh, Let me tell you. uh, Step one, here's the problem in the Bay Area. Step two, prices. Step three, not a lot of Christians. Step four, the government. Anyways, have a good day. Thank you. I want to know what God says about this area. And so the the righteous king says, bring in a prophet. If we're going to be done, I'm down. If, If This is my last day, but I want God to tell me it's my last day. But if it's not my last day, I'm not going off of your scoreboard. I'm going to go off of his scoreboard. And so... He calls in the prophet, and uh, the whole existence of the nation is on the line. And I just want to encourage you real quick. Uh, it is election season in 2024. <laughs> Dang, I took a quick left turn, didn't I? <laughs> you talking about politics now? Yep, I'm about to. Um, have you guys ever read in the Bible that one chapter in the Bible where God uses the politician to save the nation? Oh, you haven't read it, have you? Because not in the Bible. Okay, I just want to get okay. If you haven't read the whole Bible, I have. A ton of times. And it's not in the Bible. Again, I repeat, it's not in the Bible. Now, this story is a whole nation's existence is on the line. And King Jehoshaphat does not say, okay, call in the lawmakers. Call in my parliament. Call in my Senate. No, no, King Jehoshaphat says, the nation's existence is on the line. It's time to call a prophet. How is he going to save this nation? Charles Spurgeon uh, said this uh, during his time in the 1800s because England's existence, if you will, as a Christian nation was on the line before this great awakening. And so people were looking to parliament to save everything. And here's what he said about, uh, said to England about them putting their faith in the wrong person. He says, I am ashamed of some Christians because they have so much dependence upon parliament and the law of the land. Much good may parliament ever do to true religion except by mistake. As to getting the law of the land to touch our religion, we earnestly cry, hands off, leave us alone. Your Sunday bills and all of your forms of act of parliament and religion seem to be all wrong. Give us a fair field and no favor, and our faith has no cause to fear. Christ wants uh, no help from Caesar. Christ wants no help from Caesar. Let our members of parliament repent of bribery and corruption so rife in their own midst before they set up to be protectors of the religion of the Lord Jesus. I should be afraid to borrow help from the government. Get out of the way and let our people dig. I'm touching some idols right now. I know I am. When it gets really quiet, I'm like, ooh, you're doing something, God. You'd be like, oh, dang it. Oh, man. Okay, hold on a second, Pastor. Uh, let, me just, let me just encourage you real quick. Uh, whoever gets elected this next year, they're not going to save America. Uh, whoever you're for. It's, it's amazing to me how much stock we've put into our government that politicians have become, where does my hope come from? My hope comes from the heavens and the earth. Uh, the, the Lord of the heaven and the earth. I, and I just want to encourage you real quick. Um, God needs no help from Biden. God needs no help from Trump. He needs no help from, uh, from Newsom. He needs no help. The vehicle God has always chosen to change the world. Look around. This is it. It's his people. It's the church. The book of Acts. Caesar was not the one that saved the world. It was the church that turned it all upside down. I'll never forget walking around the Colosseum in Rome when I got to go um, a handful of years ago. And the tour guide is showing me the, the, the Roman Colosseum, a place of just pure sin and carnality, 
Christians were fed, uh, um, literally alive to lions, set on fire with tar to light up the Colosseum. And I should have known this, but I asked her, I said, how did, how did the um, Colosseum get shut down? She's not a believer. She goes, oh, the Christians. I said, what? The Christians. Everybody got saved. Nobody wanted to come to these things anymore. And I was like, what? <laughs> Time out, Google. <laughs> okay. It, it amazed me that the most powerful nation, Rome, got turned on its head because Christians. Their appetite was lost for sin and their appetite was so great for Jesus. I'm telling you, what's gonna turn the world upside down is when we get an appetite for the right things, when we start to actually put our faith in the right things and believe for the right things and we call on a prophet and say, God, what do you have to say? What do you have to say? What do you have to say? Skip reading. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah and Josaphat, uh, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Josaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elijah said to the king of Israel, what have I do with you? I uh, have to do with you. Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them in the hands of Moab. Again, if you've ever been around anybody, there are going to be people actually try to speak for God all the time. They're not actually speaking for God. Get to know your word, okay? Get to know your word. Get to know your word. If you want, if you want to be somebody who, who encourages people and God, and God speaks to, you better know your word better than anybody else. And so, so, so he's actually lying at this moment. Elijah just like blows him out and goes, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not even look at you or talk to you, okay? He's like, you aren't even worth my time. He basically goes, I nor see you, but now bring me a musician. But now bring a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him and he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches, full of ditches. It's a time to prepare. It's a time to prepare. It's a time to prepare. Um, if you want to end drought in your life, when the water runs out, if you want to end drought, there's two things that need to happen. You need to have rain, but you need another thing that's just important. You need reservoirs. I want to show you a couple articles real quick. Uh, California, we're a state that has drought a lot of time. Here's an article. These are from this last year. California wastes most of its rainwater, which simply goes down the drain. Uh, go to the next one. LA lets rain flow in the Pacific Ocean, wasting a vital resource. Can we do better? This is one of the uh, statements from the article. Uh, this is the LA one. This is just what happened in LA right here. Officials are making progress, but experts say that there's a long way to go. Of an estimated 5 billion to 10 billion gallons pouring into the Los Angeles Basin from its current storms, only 20% will be captured by the county. So billions, 8 billion gallons of fresh water are just going to flow out. And then when we have drought, we're like, we're going to die, move. Because we did not prepare when the rain actually came. And I'm telling you, if you want to have revival in your home, I can't dig at your own house. I can't create reservoirs in your home. I can't dig for you. I, I, people at our church, I love it. People come like, man, I've been coming for three months. I come in, I weep. I love it. And the reason why you enjoy it so much is we've been digging here and you're drinking from the wells that we've dug, the reservoirs that we've dug. And we're glad. Come and drink. Come all who are weary. Come all who are hungry and thirsty. I want you to come drink. But the church cannot be full of drinkers. It must be full of diggers. And I want to encourage you real quick. As you, as you start to look at your life, say, God, I want you to change things in my life. But if you have no room for the rain to actually rest in, no room for it to come into your life, when the spigot gets turned on, but there's no reservoir, there's no quiet time, there's no time of reading, there's no church for you to go to, no small group for you to be a part of, all those are reservoirs for your life. Those are all things that will sustain you and propel you to where God wants you. We don't do small groups because we like having you busy. I believe it is a biblical mandate of the church 
to live in fellowship, to live life together, that it's a well that we are bringing. So when you are isolated from the enemy and you get around people, that things that used to take you out will no longer take you out because you have a place to come drink. I believe church on Sunday, why we add services is like we're adding another reservoir for a dry and thirsty land to come and drink the living water of Jesus. When we have team prayer on Wednesdays, it is a reservoir that we are digging and we are pleading with God, would you send more rain? We're digging the ditches. And I love it, he says, dig this valley full of ditches. He doesn't say dig a ditch. Because can I just tell you real quick, when God speaks and God does something, he does it in a God way. He doesn't do it in a little way, he does it in a God way. So dig and dig some more. And what I love about this story is actually they dig the valley full of ditches. That's not a gimme. They could have been like, ah, you know, I don't want to dig. It's hot. There's no clouds. And I don't even know this, Elisha. I'm going to chill. But all of them, for some reason, at that moment, shovel or no shovel, they just start digging ditches. And again, looking around like, man, like, I'm putting my faith in that one word. That one word, I'm putting all my faith in Because I'm pretty tired. And the more I work, the less, uh, you know, more dehydrated I get. But all right, I'm going to dig. And they dig the valley full of ditches, and God fills all of the ditches. And I'm telling you real quick, God is not asking you to dig one ditch. He's not asking you just to go to church on Sundays. On. not asking you just to pray once a week. Yes. He's asking you to dig your life full of ditches that he may fill it with living water. Come on. Come on. I, uh, I asked myself, you know, what does it look like to dig? I kind of told you, you know, prayer, small groups, you know, in your home. Like, you got to dig, you got to dig, you got to dig. But then I also asked myself, why do people stop digging? Why do people stop digging? Um, here's why they stop digging. Um, during uh, Spurgeon's time, uh, there was this culture of a church that came out of Rome, and they called it Romanism. And he basically said that uh, as the Great Revival happened, Romanism came in and started transforming towns uh, that were vibrant and chasing after God. And Romanism, basically what it was, was it was a type of church where uh, the pastor, the priest would basically uh, tell you what to think and then pray for you. You wouldn't pray anymore. And, and he says this um, uh, in it. One reason why Romanism is so popular is because it allows man to get a deputy to do the thinking for him and to do his praying for him. But what a poor affair it is with a man, uh, with the man who keeps his brains in somebody else's head and carries his heart in somebody else's bo- uh, bosom. Uh, the Romanists were sneaking in t- from towns to towns. They basically said they're like spreading like, a, like almost like a poison throughout England. And he says it was going from town to town. And he would say, look at uh, the, the different towns of Holland 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, there was little, little there of Romanism in that fine old Protestant country. And now because of philosophy and rationalism have entered into so many different pulpits, they put away the gospel. Romanists have multiplied like the grass of the field, but only to give us back the old fashioned gospel. Pewism has exploded in these regions. Pewism would be the word that we would use for consumerism. You look for a church that you like, you check the box, you don't do anything besides come and go. I'm telling you, that's not, that's not the way God called you to live. Right. I, I believe there's a season to come in and you, you, you check it out and you drink the water, but then it has to come a time and go, I, I can't have, Todd can't dig for me. Right. The small group leader can't dig for me. You gotta dig for yourself, amen? amen. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up and we're gonna finish with this little thought. I want you to just process this too. Um, like God gave me this like picture when I was you know, praying and, preparing this, have faith that your prayers are like clouds going up, preparing rain to come down. That when you pray, clouds are going up and you're preparing rain to come down. Your your prayers go somewhere. They never, ever, they're never, you don't, you're not praying in vain. You're not digging in vain. And and so um, 
goes on, for thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, uh, you not shall see wind nor rain, uh, yet the valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle and your animals may drink. And this is simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand and also uh, shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land and stone. So he says, hey, this is a simple thing for the Lord. He's gonna deliver the water and he's gonna give you victory. And I love this last part. Uh, now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly, everybody say suddenly, that suddenly water came by the way of Edom and the land was filled with water. It's time to pray and worship. It's time to pray and worship. I love that word suddenly. I can relate with suddenly. I'm 41 years old and I don't know when it happened, but one day I woke up and I suddenly had gray hair. Just out of the blue. I was like, I have gray hair. Like I'm fully like a silver fox is what my wife says. You're a silver fox. You know, um, I don't remember the day it happened. Just suddenly, bam, you know, holidays come and then out of the blue, suddenly my pants don't fit. Just suddenly, I'm like, why in the world? Out of the blue, I'm like, these pants fit yesterday, I feel like, but today they don't fit. Ernest Hemingway said it this way. How does a man become bankrupt? And he said, how did you become bankrupt? Two ways, gradually and suddenly. I turned great gradually, of course, but I didn't notice it. Just suddenly, boom. Some of you are like, out of the blue, our marriage is terrible. Suddenly, it's just terrible. No, it wasn't suddenly. It was gradually. Some of you are like, I don't know, but suddenly my life just exploded. It wasn't suddenly. It was gradually. But, but, but how did you become bankrupt emotionally and spiritually? It was gradual and suddenly. And I want to encourage you real quick that just the way that you became bankrupt is the same way that you could be fulfilled and restored if you went to the right well. I, uh, uh, one of my heroes is uh, Tim Keller. And uh, I, you know, discovered him a long time ago and I, I just loved uh, the way he communicated the gospel. I loved how much he loved God's word. And um, I remember one of my buddies, it was like four years later, and he's like, bro, this Tim Keller guy just came out of the blue. Didn't even see him coming. And I'm like, he's been pastoring in New York City for 23 years. And in Pennsylvania, six he's been pastoring for longer than you've been alive. He didn't just come out of the blue. This guy's been praying and laboring and preaching. And now 30 years later in his ministry, you heard about him. This is not a sudden thing for Tim Keller. He's been laboring for 30 years. I, I, uh, I read this um, story. I'm, I'm climbing the fitness mountain again, trying to get, you know, really fit. Uh, the holidays got me bad. I started the holiday eating around September, but anyways. Um, <laughs> and I slid all the way into December. They're going that, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Christmas cookie, yeah, mm, delicious. Um, and so, uh, you know, so starting the, the climb again in January. So, so whenever that happens, I always like to read like things that, would, you know, motivate me. Like I'll listen to like a Jocko Willink podcast or, you know, Goggins, like, ah, you know? And, um, uh, and so uh, I was reading this story um, uh, about uh, just committed to the journey. And the story I heard was, it, it pierced me. It was 1960s, there was these two uh, high school football teams in Texas, uh, rivals uh, for the longest time. And uh, for the last 20 years, one of the high schools has beat the other school 20 years in a row. So razzing them, 20 year streak. And from the losing town and the losing high school football team, there was a tech millionaire in the 1960s that had become uber successful and his buddies would always razz him. Man, your high school team, 20 years, your team's terrible. It started driving him nuts to where he asked the coach, can I come talk to uh, the team and give him some motivation uh, the week before the game? 
Coach like, oh yeah, you can come in. Guy was kind of a celebrity in the town. So he comes in, he goes, hey, this is the year. You're gonna beat that team. And if you beat that team, I will buy every player and coach a brand new Ford truck. It's the 1960s. It's a one car family kind of value. It's like buying everybody a house. All the kids, are you serious? Like, I'm serious. I'll buy everybody a new Ford truck. You go beat that team. So for a week, they are training, studying their playbook, two-a-days, getting ready, everything. And then Friday night lights happen. They go and play that game, and they lose 38-0. <laughs> I didn't like the story at first. It bothered me. Because I wanted it to say they tried hard all week, and they went in, and they won 20, 20 uh what was the score last night? 24-21. Last second. You know, like, I wanted that. And the reason why I wanted that, we all want that story. Well, all right, Tyler, I'm fired up. I prayed hard for one whole week. And I still lost 38-0 on Friday night. Tyler, I read my Bible three times this week. I don't see the water flowing. I had no suddenly yet. I want to encourage you. I'm not trying to give you a one-week fix of if you pray hard for one week, rain will come, the ditches will be dug, your life will be changed, your marriage will be better. No, I'm giving you a way of life that if you will gradually keep digging, gradually keep believing, and gradually keep sacrificing, suddenly people will ask you, what happened to your life? Felt like it came out of the blue. This thing didn't come out of the blue. What happened to your marriage? Look like it just came out of the blue. This marriage didn't come out of the blue. We were, we were digging and digging and praying and forgiving and loving and serving. And then as we did those things, the water came and we were ready. God was resurrecting and reviving. This did not happen on accident. I'm telling you, church, if we are a church that will dig and pray and commit to the gradual, suddenly we will see things in the Bay Area. Suddenly you'll see things in your life. Will you bow your heads? I don't know if it's your first time or second time in church. You never said yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing. If you never said yes to Jesus and you want to say yes to salvation this morning, it's a very simple question. But I was very clear. If you want to get saved, believe in your heart, confess your mouth, you'll be saved. The way we do that is have you raise your hand and say yes. If that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, you want to say yes to Jesus. On the count of three, yes to blessing, no to cursing. One, two, three. Raise it up and raise it high. I want to see you. That's a great decision. I see you in the middle back. Anybody else? My left, your right, you want to say yes to Jesus? I see you. That's a great decision. I see you right there. That's a great decision. My left, your right, you want to say yes to Jesus? Come on now. That's a great decision. God, we love you. We love you. We thank you that you're the one that saves. Nobody else saves. God, we pray this week that we grab our spiritual shovels and we would dig for our families. We would dig for our lives. That we would dig for our church. That we would dig for the Bay Area. And God, as we dig, God, we believe by faith that all of a sudden, suddenly, you're going to bring the rain. We trust that you're the God that delivers, and you deliver on your time, not our time, on your time. God, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. Everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.